Okay, I didn't know if Pastor said it right. Yes, we do welcome live stream. Those who join us by live stream, welcome to service tonight. Thank you for joining us. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, please. Revelation chapter 2. Someone once asked me, he said, Pastor, are you sad or bothered when the prayer time goes so long? By no means. This is a prayer meeting service with a Bible study attached to it, not the opposite. So if we went the whole time praying, that would be fine with me. I believe prayer service is the backbone of the church. So let's never get sad when the prayer service goes too long. That's what this is all about. So I thank you so much for the prayer request. Thank you for the men who pray. And I, I believe God answers prayer, don't you? And I believe we should pray. Thank you so much. Tonight we're looking at the third of the seven churches that Christ gave a letter to in the book of Revelation. These were literal churches that existed at the time John wrote this. And tonight we're looking at the Christ's message to the church of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2. Let's read verse 12 through verse 17. Then we'll back up and look at the message that Christ had for this church. In verse 12, he said, Unto the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword, which two edges. He says, I know thy works. And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou hast, uh, thou holdest fast my name, has not denied my faith, even in the days when Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrificed idols, and to commit fornication. Verse 15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh I will give to eat of the hid manna, and will give him a white stone, and in a stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. If you notice something common to every one of these letters, it begins by saying, unto the angel of the church. Now, we talked about the angel of the church is not an angelic messenger like Michael Gabriel. It's talking about the person who delivers the message. I believe it's talking about the pastors. So each one of these letters are written to the spiritual leader of the church, the pastor, and each letter also, he, a common phrase, said, I know thy works. By the way, did you know that Christ knows our works? He knows your works individually. He knows our works corporately, but he knows our works. And also, he includes every message with he that overcometh. Every, le every letter concludes with that. So let's look at tonight, the church written to the, uh, the Christ message written to the church of Pergamos. Let's begin, number one, the description. Number one, the description. Here Christ gives a description of himself like no other uh, in the other letters. In verse 12, Christ says, These things saith he, which hath a sharp sword with two edges. So here the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice, each one of these letters are, are written in red. As far as you got a red, red letter edition for Christ himself speaking. 
one person told me, Pastor, I said, I only read the red letters because that's what Christ spoke. By the way, it's all God's word. Well, it's black, red, white. It's all his word. The, black the red letters are no more important than the black letters. It's just letting us know what Christ himself spoke when he was here. So he says, first of all, it's Christ speaks with a sharp sword. Letter A, where does the sword come from? Look in verse Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. He said, he that hath a sharp sword with two edges, where does the sword come from? Revelation 1, 16. He said, he hath in his right hand seven stars, and out of his, notice what it says, his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Look down to Revelation 2, verse 16. Again, this is the same part of the letter written to Pergamos. Revelation 2, 16. He says to them, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against thee with the sword of my what? Mouth. In Revelation 19, I believe the verse will be on the screen. It said, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations. Verse 21 of 19. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, where sword proceeded out of his mouth. So the sword proceeds out of the mouth of Christ. So he comes with a sharp sword with two edges. And where does it come from? It comes out of his mouth. Letter B, what is the sword? Many of you know already. The sword is what? Getting ahead of myself. The sword is the word of God. The sword is the word of God. Ephesians 6, 17. Talking about the whole arm of God. He said, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. Hebrews 4, 12. Many of you know this verse. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Christ describes himself as one with a sharp two-edged sword. And where does it come from? It comes out of his mouth because it is, it is his word. So the sword represents his word. The sword is uh, the word of God. And let us see, what is the sword used for? It, the sword is his word. It's the word of God comes out of his mouth. And what is it used for? It is used to bring and execute judgment. It is used to bring and execute judgment. Each time, especially in the battle of Armageddon, he brings judgment upon the earth. So the sword... The word of God is used to bring and execute judgment. That's the description Christ gave himself. Number two. Now the commendation. The commendation. In verse 13. Here he says, I know thy works. And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name. And hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where Antipas was a faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So Christ commends them for their steadfastness in the very center of Satan's domain. Notice Christ said, this city is where Satan dwells. Now Satan is a fallen angel. He is not omnipresent. He can only be one place at a time. And the place he dwelt at this time was in this city, he said, where Satan's seed is, where Satan dwelleth. Now, Satan has many angels. They're called demons. And we know when Satan fell, he took one-third of the angelic host with him. And how many angels are there, by the way? The Bible says they are numberless. There's so many, you can't count them all. So even though Satan can't be everywhere at one time, he has many of his followers, demons, they can be. 
But this city happens to be the very place where Christ, where, excuse me, Satan dwells. He said, I know thy works, where thou dwellest even where Satan's seat is. And he concludes the verse, where Satan dwelleth. They lived where Satan had his throne. They may, this may refer to great temple uh, of the goddess called Asclepius, a pagan god of healing represented in the form of a serpent. So there was a big temple in the city, and the image of the god they worshipped was in the form of a serpent. Interesting. Further recognition of Satan indicated, they close the verse, that Pergamus was where Satan lived. Can you imagine living in a town where Satan lived? This was this place of Pergamus. But the commendation he gave, even in the midst of Satan's where he dwelt, he says, Thou holdest fast my name. Thou holdest fast my name. He says in verse 13 again, I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, where his throne is, and thou holdest fast my name. They had professed the name of Christ. That is, they had professed to be his followers. They had steadfastly followed him and his calls in all the opposition that came because of him. In other words, I don't know about you, it seemed like a hard place and uh, profess Christ would be in where Satan dwells. And yet they did that. What a commendation that you have held fast my name. And Titus 1.9, it says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering. Let me ask you, do you hold fast the name of Christ in your neighborhood where you live? How about where you work? Do you hold fast the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? These people did. I doubt that where you work is where Satan dwells. <laughs> you may think your boss is that way. I don't know. But they dwelt where Satan dwelt, and they did not deny his name. They held fast his name. Number two, the second thing they were commended for, thou hast not denied my faith. Thou holdest fast my name. Thou hast not denied my faith. In the middle part of verse 13, thou holdest fast my name, thou hast not denied my faith. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul said this, I fought a good fight, I have finished a course, I have kept the what? The faith. Interesting, Jude, in chapter 1, only one chapter, verse 3, Jude says here, Beloved, I have gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you, exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. But I want you to notice something carefully here in verse 13. That faith they have not denied. Notice what he said here, thou hast not denied my faith. He didn't say the faith. He says my faith. In other words, uh, we are to keep and contend the or his faith and be true to it is to be true of him to deny the faith you know the bible says it's deny him so the bible says we should earnestly contend for the faith paul said i have not denied the faith but he here the lord jesus refers to the faith as his faith so christian when you have ever in a situation where you may have been threatened or Tempted to deny the faith. Realize when you deny the faith, you're denying Christ. He says the faith is his faith. Wow. So many Christians 
are quick, deny the faith because of persecution, a fear of rejection. But the Lord Jesus refers to the faith as his faith. Again, we are to keep and contend for his faith. And to be true to it is to be true to him, deny the faith, deny him. But he goes on to say in that verse, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you. So there were Christians killed for the faith in the same place. And I don't know about you, I don't know anyone personally that has been killed for the faith, but they did, and he's named by name, and he's called the faithful martyr. Interesting. Uh, the tradition bears out that this Antipas was burned to death inside a brass bull. That he, he died for Christ by being burned to death. I don't know about you, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? Have you ever been burned? Seems like a burn is one of the worst pains you can have. And here Antipas does not bring out scripture, but tradition says he was burned to death for his faith. Interesting, the word martyr, you know what the word martyr means? It means witness. It's a transliterization of the Greek word means witness because of so many of the witnesses faithful to Christ were put to death, the word martyr developed a current definition. So to be a martyr for Christ means you died for the witness of Christ. I encourage you, my friend, witness for Christ and keep doing so no matter what it costs you. Number three. Number three, we saw the description. Christ described himself as a sharp sword with two edges. We saw the commendation. The commendation, they have denied the faith. They have held fast the faith, not denied his faith. Now, number three, the rebuke. The rebuke. Look in verse 14 and 15, please. He commended them, but now he's got a rebuke. He said, verse 14, I have a few things against thee. By the way, if the Lord would write a letter to you, what would he have against you? You ever thought about that? Not about you. I like the commendation, don't you? Tell me all the good things I've done. But he says, you know, I have someone against you too. I think if we're all honest, the Lord might have something against us. He said, I have a few things against thee. What are they? Two of them. Because thou hast there at the church them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, Verse 15, thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which I hate. That's a strong word, is it not? You know, it's one thing for a man to say, I hate you, I hate that. But to think the Lord says, I hate. He hates the doctrine of Nicolaitans. But let's back up. Christ rebuked the church for the compromise in two areas. Number letter A, for holding the doctrine of Balaam. He rebuked them. Because in the church, there were those that were holding the doctrine, the teachings of Balaam. Look again in verse 14. There has them there that hold the doctrine of the teaching, the word doctrine means teaching of Balaam. What did he teach? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit what? You remember the story of Balaam? Balaam was called the prophet for hire. Remember Balak, uh, the, the people of Balak was a, a king of a certain people, and they saw Israel coming, and they were fearful because they, they saw every people that Israel attacked were killed. And so they were fearful of their lives. So Balak, what did he do? He hired a prophet. His name was Balaam. 
Balaam was a prophet for hire. And he says, I will pay you if you curse the people of Israel. So he said, well, let me go talk to God and see what God says. And, of course, he went to God. And what did God say? Don't go with him. He says, don't curse. You cannot curse what I have blessed. By the way, Israel is still God's people. I hope that when you see all this going over there in Israel and being attacked, they're still the people of God. And we need to be praying for them. But he was hired to curse Israel. And he said, you cannot curse what I've blessed. And so long story short, Balaam tried to figure out some way to bring God's judgment upon his people. God will not curse his people because they're blessed. So what he did, he come up with an idea. He says, get the Moabites, the, the ladies of the Moabites, to infiltrate Israel. That there might be mixed marriages and the men of Israel might commit fornication with the Moabites, women, and also be part of their idol worship. And Israel did. So what... Uh, the back door went in, and so Israel began to commit fornication with the women of Moabites and do idol worship, and God did judge them for doing that. So Balaam had been guilty of counseling King Balak to cause the men of Israel to sin by committing fornication with heathen women and through idol worship. Uh, one commentary said it got him to do uh, mixed marriages with the heathen women. By the way, does God still, does the Bible speak about mixed marriages? In other words, for a believer to marry an unbeliever, is that right or wrong? It's wrong, the Bible says. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And said, it's just as wrong today as it was back then. And I want to encourage you, if you've got children, teach them not to strike up a relationship that has emotion in it with an unbeliever. So many young men, young women have married an unbeliever because they come emotionally attached. And how many realize emotions cloud good judgment? And so teach them when they're young. When you get married, make sure your person you marry is a believer. And that's so important. So immorality with heathen women, which involved idol worship, was also a problem in Pergamos. Because he said, Thou hast still some that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Next. The second area in which he rebuked them for said, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What is that? Interesting, the doctrine of Nicolaitans was a division of clergy and laity. A division of clergy and laity. The Greek word for Nicholas means to conquer the people. It refers to the development of a priestly caste a clergy, in the church that throws aside the common believers. While there must be pastoral leadership in the church, there must not be a distinct clergy and laity in which the former lords over the latter. So many churches have dictators for pastors. By the way, this is exactly what goes on in the Catholicism. Well, there's a distinct separation from the clergy, the priest, and the laity, the common person. In Catholicism... If you want forgiveness, where do you have to go? You have to go to the priest. And he will go to God in your behalf and ask for forgiveness. And just so much where the clergy, the priest, exalted so high above the common person. That's exactly what was going on here. And that, by the way, that's what the Lord says, that which I hate. Now, there should be, uh, you know, this pastoral leadership. 
but there should not be a distinct where the pastor's way up here and everybody's way down here and he lords over everybody else. The pastor is just a position which God's called certain men to, to lead a church spiritually. But the pastor like you is a, he has no direct access to God any more than you do. There's only one mediator between God and man, and who's that? It's not the pastor. <laughs> it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the pastor has to go through Christ to get to God, just like you do. I, uh, there's a man in our church. I, I mentioned, many of you know him. His name is Rick Concilio. How many you know Rick Concilio? He's back there working in Iwana right now. Years ago, he came to our church. We picked up his kids on a bus and brought them to a vacation Bible school. And, and the kids trusted Christ as Savior. And Rick and Lorraine came on parents' night. You know what I'm talking about? Parents' night, last night? And, of course, that night I gave the gospel, and they were set right over here, and they listened very carefully. They had a Catholic background. They listened very carefully. And after the service, they came to me and said, Pastor, I never heard that before. I never heard salvation that way before. Would you be willing to come to my house and tell me more about it? And I said, by all means. But I told him, I said, I'm leaving tomorrow for vacation. <laughs> I'll be back in two weeks, and I'll call you. And so two weeks I called him, went to his house. Long story short, I led both of them to Christ. Both of them trusted Christ as Savior. And Rick and Lorraine came to church the following Sunday. And very sincerely, they came to me and they walked in the church. And they said, Pastor, where are the statues? Where are the statues of the saints that I can pray to them? And he says, sincerely, he said, Pastor, when do I come for confession? And I said, any time, but not to me. <laughs> You can go directly to the Lord. He said, I have direct access to God. He said, yes, you do. The Lord Jesus Christ. And where the Catholic Church exalts the clergy way up here and the lady way down here. And the Lord says, I hate that idea. That is not biblical. So that's the doctrine of the, Laet the, the Nicolaitans. And notice here in number two of that, he says, the doctrine of Nicolaitans, their doctrine was a division of clergy and laity. Number two, where... What were the deeds in the church of Ephesus had become a doctrine in the church of Pergamos? He said it again. What were the deeds in the church of Ephesus had become a doctrine in the church of Pergamos? You back up in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. He says, But thou hast, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The same thing. It was a practice in this church, but it actually become a teaching in Pergamos. Taken as a whole, the message to the church of Pergamos is a warning against the compromise of morals and against teaching false doctrine in the church. That was the message to them. Real quickly, our time is just about gone. We saw the description. We saw the commendation and the rebuke. Number four, now the exhortation. The exhortation, verse 16. What's he tell them to do? Verse 16, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The word repent means change your mind. Change your mind about these doctrines. The practice of the Nicolaitans, the practice of Balaam. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and fight against them. He said, I will come to you as a church, but I'll fight against those that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and Balaam with a sword of my mouth. So letter A, 
they were commanded to repent, to change their mind about these two doctrines. And let it be, if not, God will bring judgment on those who hold such doctrine. He said, I will fight against them. Not against you, but against them. Against the Nicolaitans, he will come against the church for tolerating them. But an opposition will, uh, would be principally directed against Nicolaitans. It's got one minute's time for us to quit. I've got to quit on time because we've got many parents here. have got to get their kids from uh, Awana. But let me say this. Notice again who is the Lord talking to here? The pastor of the church. Who's responsible at keeping the church doctrinally sound? The pastor of the church. So he's the one uh, that allowed the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, also the doctrine of, of the uh, uh, Balaam, uh, Balaam there too. So he's the one. He said, I will come to thee, but I will go against them. What is he saying, Pastor? You if you don't deal with it, Christ said, I will. <laughs> and you don't want that. So anyway, we're going to conclude next week with the promise. It's 8 o'clock. I've got to stop. And, and so um, I want to encourage you to read the promise there. The promise uh, is interesting, and we'll conclude with that and move on to the next church next Wednesday night. Thank you so much for coming. And let me say this as we close. I realize Wednesday is probably the most difficult service to attend. What I mean by that, many of you are tired. I can see it on your face. You've worked all day, and you've decided so to stay at home like many of our church people have. You decide to come, and God will bless you for that, and I appreciate you coming even though you're tired, and so I appreciate it so much. Let's bow together and ask the Lord's blessing. Father in heaven, we thank you for the message to the Church of Pergamos. We thank you that you've commended them for two wonderful things, things they've done. And Lord, you know their works, you know our works. And Father, I pray that you'd help us never to adopt any false doctrine in our church. Lord, that we'd stay true to your word, true to sound doctrine. That we'd hold fast thy name. And that we would keep doing what's right in your sight. So Father, bless our church, bless each one. Here's we go our separate ways. In Christ's name we pray, amen.